0: Welcome to the Pastor's Roundtable podcast, a podcast where we pull apart and deconstruct the habits, routines, and tactics of the great men and women of faith. Drastically changed my life. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Here's your host, Ryan Latham. Welcome to episode 47. Thank you so much for hitting that play button. Would you consider liking, subscribing, and leaving a comment and even sharing it? That helps us out so much. I think we all can agree there's a lot going on in our nation right now, and it's causing us to ask a lot of questions. So today I talked with Chris Songson about some of those questions that we need to be answering as a leader today. Chris is the lead pastor of South Hills Church, the multi-site church with 12 campuses. He is the author of multiple books and the founder of Church Boom. We talk about questions that every leader must answer. We also talk about, and he gives us some tips, about how to write a book ourselves. I know that we're all kind of thinking about what does the future look like and what's going to change, what's going to stay. And I think that we should consider sticking with live videos. This gives us a great opportunity to dive deeper into our sermons, opportunity to interview people and to create a lot of interaction. I've been using StreamYard and I love it. They've just added mobile capabilities, which means that you can go live anywhere. So check it out and get a discount by going to renewedleadership.org slash StreamYard. That's RenewedLeadership.org slash StreamYard. Well, guys, here's my conversation with Chris. hey, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Pastors' Roundtable. I am really excited about this episode, talking with a longtime friend, Pastor mentor of mine, uh, who was actually the pastor at the church when I got saved in high school, and uh, he was he was a teaching pastor, looked up to his leadership for a really long time, and uh, I'm really excited to share this uh, interview with you. We're gonna be talking about a book that he's written. He's written many books. We're gonna talk about uh, one of them today. Uh, so, Chris, thank you for joining us today. We're just so grateful for you to have you here.
1: Awesome, awesome! No, it's great to be with you. Thank you, Ryan, and really proud of you, man. It's been amazing to see what God's done in your life, and uh, the leader that God's allowed you to become. So it's amazing, and that doesn't happen by accident. Leadership is not by accident; it's by purpose, and you've definitely grown as a leader. So it's awesome. It's an honor to be here, man. Hang out yeah, with you. Yeah,
0: thanks, Chris. So, yeah. uh, okay, so let's jump back in. I was in high school, gave my life to the Lord. I didn't grow up in church, really. Gave my life to the Lord, and uh, you were you were one of our teaching pastors. Mm-hmm and uh you felt called to start a church and uh you know back then, i i didn't really know what that meant but i knew i watched you lead and start in your your uh living room and uh now you've got multiple campuses doing great stuff so let's take us take us back to there and just kind of walk us through kind of uh you know kind of a quick journey of the church and how you started and kind of where you're at now
1: yeah no, that's uh yeah that was a long time ago the uh we started uh, South Hills Church and we were in Whittier, California, and then felt go to uh, go over to Corona. I had roots here. Uh, I didn't have influence, but uh, so I knew I'd have to start from nothing. Um, I mean, I was a youth pastor. Well, actually, I was only a junior high pastor or youth pastor or something. So I didn't, I never spoke in front of people. So I came back, got permission from the Assemblies of God, the denomination I belong to, and got permission from the people in the area and said, I want to plant a church. And I don't really, we'll see what happens. But it was a huge, uh, there was a lot of faith. I remember the night they threw a little going away party for me at uh, at the church in Whittier. And I remember getting in my little car and I remember putting my three-year-old in the front seat or a two-year-old in the back or whatever it was, I don't remember. But I just remember getting in the car and thinking, what In the world, am I doing? I don't know how <laughs> I don't know what's gonna go on. I have a three year old and a two year old. Like, what the heck am I thinking? You know, I got a yeah. wife, and I'm like, oh dear god. Uh, and so, uh, I thought, well, we just feel called. Well, to, and and, and
0: you know, for those of are listening right now, this is long before we had great organizations. Oh, yeah, art and CMN, and all these great, org- I mean, this was like straight, you know, peer this pioneer is,
1: days. There's no money. Yeah, this business of, yeah, you raise 50 and we'll give you 100 grand and you can pay it up over the next 7,000 years. And like, that did not exist. Yeah. Uh, we got nothing. And, uh, uh, you know, I... You, got, you had, may have
0: gotten a handshake and a hug, maybe.
1: Oh, that's it. Yeah. I always say that we got a hunting license. Go ahead. Hunt away. <laughs> We're not going to give you ammunition, but, you know, hunt away. Yeah, yeah. And so they, we had, I remember specifically, I had $5,000 in our savings account my wife and I. And I remember the first call we got, uh, some lady says, hey, we used to have a church and then we don't have a church anymore. So, but we have some equipment. I went and picked up like four microphones, no joke, a couple old broken down cords, two speakers, one monitor, a six channel board. And I was like, okay, well, we got that, you know, and we'll start with that. And and it just was literally from nothing. Uh, and so we had a few friends that said they would help us maybe six or eight, something like that. And we just started meeting for about six months with a core group, built that up to about, I don't know, 40, 50, and then launched. And uh, we had to figure out how to make money. We raised money, raised our support, felt like a missionary, you know, didn't, wasn't no ARC, wasn't no CMN, nothing like that. So we raised a bunch of money. Uh, the biggest gift we got, I think, was like $1,500 from somebody uh, a, a church, a, a, a religious organization, like a church or a denomination gave us like $1,500. I don't remember who it was, but outside of that, there was nothing. And we just, just trusted God, you know, and did the best that we could. Took a lot of work, man. Two things I always say about church planning. Uh, no matter how you slice it, you need money and you need people. And, uh, uh you know, there's a lot more to it, but you better have some money and you better have yeah. some people.
0: So yeah. how long ago was that?
1: Gosh, it was 20 years ago.
0: Twenty, yeah, 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 and so let's fast forward. Uh, you know, you obviously you were a, a single location church, and then now you uh, would you say eleven? Uh,
1: tw- yeah, I think uh, we're about to launch. I think, I think <laughs> I'm gonna do the math here. Uh, we're about to launch our twelfth. Yeah, in wow. Idaho. Wow,
0: Eagle, Idaho. Yeah, and so talking about that, that, that's nationwide. That's not just in Southern California, right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. We're in uh, we're different places. Mm-hmm. So is
0: that, um, do you guys have like different levels of campuses or are they all like actual campuses where you're all teaching the same thing, using the same resources, or are they kind of more independent?
1: No, they're all, they're all uh, branded as one church, one church, many campuses, you know, that whole thing. And so they follow the same, you know, the children's is branded this way. The youth is branded this way. The, uh, everybody follows the same series. We do live speaking. We don't do video venue. Uh, so everything we do is live, which is ha, is good, uh, but it definitely has its <laughs> its yeah. challenges. Uh, it's it definitely has pros and cons to video versus live, but uh, um, but anyway, yeah. So we're live, and uh, and but we're all branded the same.
0: That's great. So talk about just uh, maybe a couple tips that you've learned over the years on keeping churches. You know, eleven campuses around the nation um kind of on the same page what are a couple of tips Cause i know that multi-site churches are always trying to figure out the how do we keep everyone united how do we keep people on the same page what are a couple of tips that you'd say to people that are thinking about going multi-site or maybe have, have started it and trying to mm-hmm. figure that out
1: well um going multi-site i think there's a lot of things that you have to consider i think you have to make sure that it's something you feel god's calling you to do um that it's not just because it's cool. Like, how many sites do you have? Uh, we don't even talk attendance anymore among pastors. We talk how many sites do you have? Yeah. The More sites you have, the better you must be. So, <clears throat> and that's you know obviously false and fake. But I think that there is, you got to really make sure that you want to do it and that you can do it and that God's called you to do it. Secondly, you got to make sure that your the mothership is ready. Uh, you know, I always say unhealthy parents usually don't have healthy children. Uh, so you got to make sure that they're ready. You have to know uh i think you need to have your strategy needs to be duplicatable i think that's a big issue because the more campuses you get the more complex communication becomes and the more complex the organization becomes so you say well we went from two to four it's only two more campuses i'm like yeah but it's a lot more communication that's starting to happen and a lot more complexity that's starting to happen. So you have to be very clear. In absence of clarity, people will arrive to their own conclusion. So being clear on, hey, This is who we are. This is how we do children's. This is how we do check in for children's. This is how we do youth. This is how we do worship. This is what we do. This is how we do it. You know, I mean, you got some freedoms there because you're not creating robots, but you got to say, you know, it's kind of like a McDonald's. It's like, no, you're not just going to make the Big Mac however you want. You're going to make it the way we tell you to make it and that that we're, we're protecting the brand. And so Having those strategies in place, I would say one of the things that I've noticed with churches that we coach, because we have a coaching organization as well, when they're wanting to go to two sites, three sites, four sites, whatever, the one thing that is that seems to be least prepared for, two things actually, the financial implications, they're not ready for it, they don't understand it, um, and secondly, they're not duplicatable. Uh, you have to be duplicatable, uh, and they're not. Uh, In in many cases, it's kind of ambiguous. Like we kind of do greeting this way. No, no, this is how you do it. Uh, And so those are those financial implications and being duplicatable. I think this area is where you really have to consider as you look at it and make sure that it's not about ego, that it's about, hey, we really feel like we can do this and we're called to do it.
0: Yeah, I like that idea of really having to drill down into, I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is really every area. I mean, even as simple as, this is how we do greeting and this is how we do guest receptions or whatever like that. And not only this is kind of what we do, but actually really nailing down. This is exactly how we do it. And so uh, that's tough. Um, it is. Uh, so um, it is. any tips on, ch- on churches on kind of how to maybe think through some of those yeah, processes?
1: Yeah. Because duplicatability isn't just, well, duplicatability is not just how we do it. It's the culture in which it's done um and, and it's 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 different it's like i always say it's like going to mcdonald's versus going to chick-fil-a it's a totally different experience you know i mean at, at chick-fil-a it's like how can we serve you it's a pleasure you know at mcdonald's it's like what are you doing here you know it's just <laughs> <laughs> get out you know <laughs> first smoking a cigarette they're putting it out in the french fries no uh um, <laughs> if anybody here is watching this mcdonald's are probably gonna be mad at me. <laughs> but uh, um yeah. there's there, it's just different the culture is totally different um and I think that when you're duplicating out, here's a couple things that I think are important. Number one, you have to be you have to be clear. Uh, well, a few things. You have to be clear on your values, which help shape the culture. A lot of people confuse aspirational values with either core values or accidental values, and those are all different. But you have to be really you have to be really clear on like what are your core values and you know, what are your aspirational values. And then always a great question is what's your accidental values. But you got to be clear on your values. You're clear in your culture. And then physically, here's the homework. Like, like I did with a church that was now is at five sites and they were at one three years ago. I, and they brought me in to do coaching for like six months. So I went to the youth pastor, chosen pastor, worship pastor, guest services, blah blah blah. It's a big. They're already a church of like three thousand. And I said, everybody, I need job. We need job descriptions for everything. We need how-to guides for everything. I want it all in writing. And they're asking me, they're wanting me to coach them. And and they're like, why? And I said, because just telling someone, just have a good children's department over there 10 miles away. What does a good one mean? Just make it Mm -hmm. safe. What are the standards of safe? You know, it's like telling a teenager, just be home early. Well, my, whole, my opinion of early and my teenager's opinion of early might be different. Well, I think it's the same thing with the church. It's like, just greet people and be nice. What does greet people and be nice mean? It's got to pass a paper test. It's got to be like, this is our manual. Not that I think creating a bunch of manuals is going to fix everything, but it's got to be something that says, okay, all four campuses, here's how we do guest services. Let's all look at it together. This is now you got to reinforce it and you got to teach it but it's gotta be in a place where it's like, this is how we do it. It's not ambiguous. And that's what we do. Just make it safe. Just make the worship good. What does good mean? What does safe mean? Very different from people's opinions. So you gotta get really crystal clear. Uh, and I, like I said, in absence of clarity, people arrive at their own conclusion. So it's like, just be safe. Well, if you don't tell them they have a version. Just do good worship. Well, if you don't tell them, they'll have a version. In absence sounds good of clarity. to me. They'll come up with it (laughs) and it won't be what you hope it will will never be what you want. Uh, So anyway, those are some of the things I think it's like physically saying all the job descriptions, all the how to's, all the minute, everything. This is our thing. This is how we do youth. This is how we do children. This is how we do whatever worship, whatever.
0: You feel like that's important for a single location church as well?
1: I do. I I think it's important. Well, no matter what, I think it's important for sure because I think it helps create the guides and it helps create expectations uh, for your greeters, for your ushers, for your worship team. And it, and it it forces, even though it's a, it's a, uh, a necessary evil where you're sitting there doing all this typing, everybody at the end of it, all the tons of churches we worked with at the end of it, they always say that was a great exercise Mm because it forced me to think through how do we really do this? What is it that's really important to us? How do we want them to behave? How do we want them to act? What do we want them to value? Like what's the profile we're looking for of a greeter, usher, worship, whatever. So even as a, yeah, as a model site, I think it's definitely a great exercise. It forces clarity.
0: Yeah, I think you know every restaurant talks about like that secret sauce. You know, what's that secret sauce that makes your your restaurant better? I think that uh, I mean it could be. Uh, I feel like what you're saying is a lot of that is really helping people to unearth their own secret sauce as to why their church maybe is a little bit unique yeah. or different, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it does. It it forces clarity. It forces you to really think about a lot of things, and uh, it, it takes you into, into a pattern of uh, figuring out what we're good at, what we're not good at, why we do things the way we do, what's successful, what's not successful, what does good mean, what does safe mean? It forces it, you know? Uh, and I think, I, think, I think it's great for mono, or I think it's great for mono site. It's a way it has to happen for multi-site if you're going to keep everybody in alignment, because here's the thing, man, is that I always say that vision leaks and people drift, and so vision's always leaking. So you got to always be restoring it, but people will always drift. So you got to always bring them back to like, this is who we are. Remember guys, remember this, remember this yeah. piece of paper? This is who we are, you know, and uh, cause they will drift. You know, uh, I always talk about Mount Sinai when, uh, when uh, Moses said, I'll be back. And he comes back 45 days later, the people that loved Moses as their leader and loved God with all their heart 45 days later, that built the golden calf. It took 45 (laughs) days. No one one ever really does the math. Whenever I teach that to pastors or leaders, they're like, I never thought about that. 45 days later, this is a group that was like, We love you, Pastor Moses. We love you, God. We're all in. Yeah. You know, yeah, Yahweh, the whole, you know. We'll do anything. We'll do anything. We'll die for you 45 days later. We built a calf. And (laughs) So
0: and, say, and they're they're about to kill him too. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. So it's like don't think that people aren't drifting. You know, they're yeah. drifting quickly and visions leaking quickly.
0: That's great. So. Wait, well, hey, Chris, you wrote a book uh, when your church feels stuck and the seven unavoidable questions every leader must ask. And um great book phenomenal content. And you walk through these seven areas, these seven questions that churches, leaders, um, you know, really business leaders, church leaders, everyone should be asking themselves. And one of them is you really talk about mission. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I I think that everybody listening, everyone watching knows that mission is important, right? I mean, like there's no one that really thinks that, oh, we shouldn't have a mission statement. That's that's Like Everyone realizes that. But here's the question. Why do you think that it's so hard for people to have a clear, I mean, kind of coming back on what we just talked about, why is it so hard for them to have a clear mission statement? Um,
1: that's a great question. You know, um, you know I, I, I would send a say based on a lot of coaching that we've done is, and this is, I don't think there's any deepness to what I'm about to say. But I think the reason that it's so difficult for them to come up with is because they still don't know what they're doing. Uh, they don't know what their their clarity of their call is, because most churches. Here's the thing, right? Most churches think from top to bottom. They don't think from left to right. Top to bottom is this is our church. You know, we want to reach people for Jesus and disciple. The, you know, for the kingdom or whatever. And then that's the top. And then at the bottom, they think of all these programs they do well we do men's women's children's this that ladies tea men's breakfast gotta have pancakes all that stuff right there all of that instead of saying how do we actually move people from the community the crowd to the core mm. so because they don't think that way they come up with this arbitrary mission statement throw a bunch of programs at it rather than saying okay the mission answers the what question the the strategy answers the how question but before you're answering the how question like what is it that you really want to do and back to your original question, why is it so difficult? I think there's a lot of leaders that are not really clear on what God's called them to do. Like, what has God actually called you to do? Now, I think a lot of the churches are going to go to the Great Commission, but I think there's some uniqueness to your call, whether that shows up in the mission statement or not. You know, I think there's some things that have not shown up in our mission statement that God's called us to do, but I think a lot of it just comes down to Pastors join the ministry, they become youth pastors, they go through the ranks, they become a lead pastor, they're not really taught this stuff, and at the end of the day, they are much more program-driven than process-driven, and so it's like, well, I'm a pastor, and we put on Sunday services, and a Bible study, and small groups, and what are they saying? I have a bunch of staff, volunteer, or not volunteer, that put on a bunch of programs, versus like, but what is the one thing God's called you to do? Mm. Uh, What's, what's the one thing that you could put all, your, that you, that you put all your energy to, that all your strength would go to that, all your hope would go to that? You know what, What's that one thing and resources and all that? And I don't know if a lot of people have really thought that through. They've thought of all the programs they run, but I don't know if they've thought of, but what's the thing God's called you to do?
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> it's tough. Because I, I mean, it sounds to me like there's times where maybe those programs don't, don't match the mission. And so we might have to end those programs, right?
1: Absolutely. Well, uh, in the book, I talk about three P's personality pro- program and process. So if you kind of build a triangle and you put at the bottom the word personality and then programs and at the very top process. So here's what I teach. Every church grows to the level of the pastor's personality. Average church in America is 86 people. I think it's only five or 4% that will ever get past 300, something like that. So what, what's, what's the thing? Every church grows to the level of the pastor's personality. 50 people, 80 people, 120 people, bigger personality might be able to do more, maybe yeah. more introvert does a little less, but it grows to the level of the pastor's personality. Out of desperation, they'll, they'll go from personality and they always jump. When it gets stuck, they always jump to program. We just got to add more programs we got to have something for the men, something for the women, program, 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 program. you know that churches over 1,500 have less programs than churches under 500? Because at a desperation, when desperation rises, standards fall. So you go from personality to program. Like, okay, now we're just going to do all these programs. And that'll answer the question. Very few make the leap to the top part of that triangle where the word process appears. Like, okay, but how are you going to actually do it? We want to reach unchurched church people and make disciples, but how? Mm. Well, well, we're going to do that through men's and women's. That doesn't answer how. Those are programs. Some are good. Some probably, like you said, need to be you know, out. But, um, but how are you actually going to do it? How are you going to get people from the community to come to the crowd on Sunday morning to the core? Like, how are you going to actually do that? And most people can't answer the how question. If I'm in front of 500 pastors, I'm like, how many got a mission statement? Most of them have something somewhere on a wall somewhere they all forgot about, uh, and they'll raise their hand. But then I said, but how do you actually do that? That not a lot of them can answer the how. At least it seems that way to me. Wow. They struggle with that.
0: So another one that you talk about is metrics. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that there's, there's uh, I, I could be wrong, but I feel like when you start talking about metrics, there's two sides of the, t- of the table here people that get excited. Oh man, finally we're, we're measuring, you know, like here it is. But then there's like this other side, I feel like almost gets a little defensive, Mm -hmm. a little bit upset of like, oh, you're focusing on, you know, these, the wrong things, right? Like we should just, you know, like you said, we just love people and disciple people, but, but you said, talk talk about metrics. And so, um, you know, two questions for you here. Why are metrics so important? And then on the other side of that would be, what are some of the metrics that we should be focusing in on?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I, I would say metrics are important because they tell the truth. Um, And (laughs) that's probably why we try to avoid them. Uh, It's like, it's like the older you get, the less scales you want to step on. Uh, You don't want the truth. You don't want the truth. Like, man, I weighed that. In high school, I weighed, you know, you just, you don't don't want the truth. Uh, And I think metrics tell the truth. And I think that we, to some degree, want to avoid the truth. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that, that there is a, uh, I think that we just, you know, we, <clears throat> we just avoid those metrics at times. I think that we do. Um, I do think there is something, before I get into what kind of metrics, I do think there's something that, that's really fascinating. Um, and I, I, I write about it in, in another book I have coming up, but um, I talk about this that when the metrics aren't going well, we have a tendency in ministry to try to put a positive spin on negative data. Here's how it looks Man, we're not growing, but man, our services, God's moving. Okay, but let's address why you're not going. Yeah, but God's moving, but let's address why you're not growing. There's a problem here. Okay, but yeah, but we're not, but boy, we got this. You know, we may not get this, but boy, we're strong like this. What they're really trying to do and we're all guilty of it, as we put positive spins on negative data. And because we don't like the way the dashboard reads, because we don't like the way the metrics read, um, that, we, that we do that. And I think metrics tell the truth, and it's hard to face the truth. But I do think this, Ryan, I think one of the biggest responsibilities a leader has is to identify reality. I really, it's like, what's, <clears throat> what's the truth here? Okay, even if your church is growing, I got a buddy of mine that his church has exploded, you know, uh, pre-COVID, it was just like out of control for like two years, you know, and, and who knows how to all shape out, you know, whatever. But I mean, it was like, whoa, it was growing like crazy. But he told me, you know, in honesty, Chris, I don't think we're reaching the loss. I just think mm. we're the best ticket in town. I like that. It's like, and he, he wrestled with that. He's like, we're not reaching the loss. We're just growing kingdom growth. It ain't, it ain't, it's transfer growth, not kingdom growth. And yeah, I was like, man, that's how you fix a problem. Identify the reality. That's, yeah. leader's job is to identify reality. And he's identifying a reality. And so I think you have to identify reality as a leader. So <clears throat> some of the metrics, you know, I mean, we look at everything because I think it all plays a part. I think the natural thing is to look at money and people and we do. Okay. What's attendance like? We don't do it week to week. Try to do it over a period of a couple of months. You do it week to week, you're gonna kill yourself. <laughs> like, oh, we had a bad week. You know, everybody wants to go all nuts. was It's like hang on. You have a bad yeah. couple of months. That's different. You have a bad week. It's not the end of the world. Secondly, is I do think you look at money, but I think there's a lot of different ways of looking at it. Okay. Well, yeah, we're bringing a lot of money, but how many new givers do you have? Hmm. Uh, how many? What's the depth of the giving? Is the majority of it coming from, the, from just 20% of the people? Or do you have, a <clears> because <throat> oh, that's part of discipleship. How do you slice it? Money's part of discipleship. And if it's like, wow, we got a church of 5,000, but we, got, we still only have 600 people giving. Okay, reaching a lot of lost people, but there's somewhere they're going to have to start getting discipled along this mm. path uh, and become followers of Christ in that way. I do think you have to look at giving. I think you have to look at it, in, but you have to look at it in different ways, not just bottom dollar. You got to look at how many How many first time givers do you have? Do you have several every week? Do you have a wide span of giving? Um, those are things I think you have to look at to to get the true reality of what's happening. Um, otherwise you get a false sense of data. Like, Oh, we got all this money. It's like, well, yeah, but you don't have a lot of discipleship and you Mm -hmm. pretty much are getting it from 5% of the people. And if those four families leave, you're in a lot of trouble. Um, yeah. I think you look at other discipleship components, whether, whether your growth tracks are like small groups or serving or whatever. Uh, I think you have to look at those metrics. But I also think when you're looking at those metrics, I think you measure small groups, measure how many people are serving, measure how many new leaders you have, measure different components of giving, measure the attendance, look at those things, see if there's some help there. Um, I think you also have to look at the data. I think metrics is also good. I don't think every week, but I think you talked about ending programs. I think there's a metric to look at. I think that there's natural energy and manufactured energy. And if you have a program that causes or takes manufactured energy, it might be a program that needs to end. So that's a one-time view of your programs. Like, we don't need that, we don't need that, we don't need that. This is what gives us our best results. I'd rather you do five things really good and get amazing results than 20 things okay, you know? Um, But anyway, those things to the measuring, to the dashboard, those weekly things, I think are really worth looking at. And I think that they are in the book, I talk about um, the fact that we have to deal with the reality of like, where are things? 76% of all churches are in decline. Wow. 76% of all churches are in decline. 200 churches shut down every Sunday. It's astronomical. Uh, It's, it's unbelievable. So if we have 200 per Sunday and 76 are in decline, that 200 per Sunday isn't going to stop anytime soon. And so we, it, it's a, it's a huge challenge, a whole issue that we have. We call it church rescue. It's part of our church boom initiative. We do church boom, but we do a thing called church rescue where we rescue churches that are dying. But it's, wow. a, big thing. it's a big thing. Anyway, I rambled it off on that one.
0: <laughs> that's great. No, that's great yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, I could, yeah. I could probably talk all day about it, but okay. So let's, let's transition a little bit. So Chris, yeah. you've written multiple books. Okay. Yeah. And I want to encourage everyone listening, watching, go get them. They're fantastic books. They're going to help you out. But uh, just real quick, I want, I want you to jump in, talk about um, some of your techniques, strategies that you've used to write these books, um, you know, in terms of just even the confidence, the courage to write them, right? I mean, I know a lot of people listening have been thinking about writing a book they have felt called to write a book something like that but maybe they've just been a little bit hesitant to do that so uh just give us a couple couple thoughts there
1: yeah absolutely uh I mean there's a lot of thoughts there but I'll give you the highlighted ones um you know I got really challenged years ago by my personal coach Dan Ryland, uh who told me you need to write your first book and then he gave me a line he goes it'll be your best business card ever And, uh, I was like, Oh yeah. He goes, it'll just help you. It'll help your influence. It'll help your impact. And I think books have a way of moving you, um, you know, from being, uh, being more of a, uh, not just a legacy, but someone that leaves a legacy and has that legacy, uh, because now your stuff's in writing. But anyway, um, you know, each book's got, I hope has got better. I think you learn and you grow from them. And I look back on other books and going, Oh, I would have said that. I would have changed that. I would, you know, I'm but sure. you grow and you learn more stuff and you're like, Oh man, you know, I heard Maxwell talk about man. He goes, I, he, 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 t- he said one time, we have a partnership with him on, on, uh, in church boom. And, I remember him saying one time to a small, about five or six of us, he goes, I look at some of my older books and I'm, I'm embarrassed. I wish they had all just burn." You know, he just like made some comment like, I'm embarrassed. He goes, "This is why you know, I, I have way different thoughts now because you get bigger and in your head and not bigger in your head, but bigger in your th- thoughts and your concepts. Mm-hmm. Anyway, here's the bottom line. I think if you have a book inside of you, you need to follow that calling uh, to write that book. The one, I'll, give you, I'll give you two minutes. Ready? Here it is. Number one is, Um, if you have a book concept in your head, here's what I've learned from my publishers and my my agents. It said this, write your book in a sentence, write your book in a paragraph, write your book in one page sentence, paragraph, one page. Why is that? Because it hones in very fast. What is it that you're trying to get done in this book in one sentence, one sentence? What are you trying to get done? One paragraph, one page. Wow. So that's the first thing that I do is I start really getting focused. Like, this is what I really want. Force it back to that whole, you know, kind of like with multi-site, it forces you to get focused and clear. Same thing. Second thing, real quick. Once you get really clear, the thing that I do is I start outlining chapters. Like, what do I want to say? You know, is this an eight or 10 or 12 chapter book? What do I want to say in each chapter? How do they flow? Then in each chapter, so i say chapter one's called whatever, and then I'll say, I'll write a paragraph or a paragraph and a half for every chapter, every chapter to give me the idea, this is what I want to accomplish in this chapter. This is what I want to accomplish in this chapter. This is what I want to accomplish in this chapter. Next thing I do, third thing, I pull out physical file folders. That's just the way I like doing it, physical. And I start downloading through research and through my own thoughts, everything I could think of on that chapter, every stat, every quote, every theory, every philosophy, everything. So, and I do that for every single chapter. So I take the head chapter title. Now I got a paragraph. Now I'm going to take a file folder and dump it with a bunch of physical papers of everything I think of about that chapter and everything I could think about that chapter. Now, when I do that for all 10 chapters, then I go back, pull out chapter one, open it up. There's 11 pages there. I know what I want to write. I got all my research. Now I start writing and that's how I do it. That's what I've learned to do. By other wow. Guys. Much better That's
0: a, <laughs> that was incredible. That, yeah. that was good. So uh, Chris, you've mentioned it, you know, John Maxwell. Uh, I know you've spent a lot of time with Sam Chan as well. You got partnerships with him as well. Uh, I mean, you've spoke for conferences like Xerox, all kinds. So you've spent a lot of time with some some of the top uh, leaders in our nation, as well as pastors around the nation of all sizes. What are some of those common Traits or habits that you've seen in some of those top leaders in our nation?
1: Yeah, uh, great question. And the very number one thing that comes to my mind is hunger. Um, I'm always, I shouldn't be, but I'm unpleasantly amazed uh, how much little passion uh, is inside of a lot of pastors. You know. Um, <laughs> you know, here's the thing that they, I, I, the average pastor in America reads 0.75% of a book per year. That's less than one book per year. Um, why you, why someone doesn't have a coach is beyond me. I have three spiritual coach, organizational coach, and leadership coach three. When am I going to not have a coach? Never because I always got to get better. If you don't have a coach, hit us up at Church Boom, whatever. If you don't want that, get something else. I'm not talking about some guy that asks you if you're praying, that's a spiritual mentor, that's great. I'm talking about a guy that says, let's talk about your church, let's talk about how to grow it, let's talk about your leadership skills, let's talk about how you handle conflict, how do you raise up volunteers, how do you work with a staff, how do you attract high level leaders? I'm amazed how much guys don't have coaches, and aren't hungry and growing, reading less than one book a year. They're just not growing wow. uh, and they're not, they're not developing. So uh, the thing that I see with high level leaders is they have an incredible appetite for growth and development. Um, and those that, those that don't seem to have the success they would like, I always, t- I always tell them I'm like, dude, you got to read, you got to grow, you got to get coached, you got to develop. Mm. I always you know, it's a, uh, it's a Brad Lominick thing. You know, I, I always tease Brad. Cause I'm like, dude, I had those H's in my head before you wrote the book H3, but uh, I love Brad. He's awesome. But we said well, the
0: market first, he wrote it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. See, he went to market first. I was writing <laughs> some other book that didn't do as good as his. Um, he's awesome. He's the best. You don't have H3. You need to get it. Brad's the best. But uh, um, I always say that you got to stay hungry. You got to stay humble and you got to hustle. And I genuinely think that what Brad says in his book, what I've always taught, when I tell staff members, is like, here's the thing. You gotta be hungry and humble enough to know you don't have the answers, mm-hmm. to get the help, to get the coaching, to, I'm always floored, you know, about what people do. And, and then hustle enough to go and get it. So, you know, I guess I could go all day long with six or seven other traits, but the number one trait is, I just think that, one thing I, I think I said in my book I wrote called In Search of Higher Ground, I said the thing that separates the good from the great, the thing that separates successful people from unsuccessful people, uh, it comes down to one thing habits. And this is what I say in the book successful people are simply willing to do the things unsuccessful people won't. It wow. doesn't make them smarter. Here's the thing, Ryan, and I mean this with all my heart I am not that smart, I am not that clever. I am not that brilliant. I I am not that naturally creative. I am not that naturally anything. There are other guys I look at and I'm like, dude, you just wake up creative. You wake up this way. You wake up with those thoughts and you're just brilliant. I have had to sweat and bleed for everything that I've learned. Every book that I've wrote, everything that I learned, because here's the thing. Um, I don't know if I'm, I, I know that I am not as naturally talented as most people, but, you will not out hustle me. Mm. I will read for every book you read, I'll read two. For every coaching session you get, I'll get two. Now, I'm not naturally whatever, but I'm telling you, I will outwork you and I will figure this thing out. So I am not if any, if I can write a book, anybody can write a book. And I'm not that <laughs> smart, man. I'm just not. Uh, I don't mean that to be some false humility. That's just the honest to God truth. I've had to work and sweat and bleed to come up with concepts and ideas and learn and pay a lot of money to a lot of coaches and a lot of flights, fly to Atlanta. never met, never forget. That's how I met Mark Cole, the president of John Maxwell. I said, would you give me a lunch with me? Flew all the way to Atlanta from from, uh, Southern California, had lunch with him, got right back on the plane. I paid for it out of my own pocket, $1,000 round trip ticket. So I could have a 90 minute lunch with the guy. But if you got something to say to me, I want to learn it. And I'm telling you, anybody that's watching, listening, or however you're putting this thing out, Ryan, read, listen to podcasts, listen to Ryan's podcast, get some help, get the coaching, go, whatever you got to do, but be hungry. I asked John Maxwell one time, because his hand is in the corporate world as much as in the Christian world, probably like no other Christian leader in the world right now. I asked him this question at breakfast, me and him sitting there, just me and him. I said what's the difference between corporate leaders and Christian leaders like pastors? What's the difference between the two? He didn't even blink, Ryan. He looked at, just me and John Maxwell. And he looked at me and this is what he said to me. He goes, "Corporate leaders are much more hungrier than pastors." He wow. said they have a he said they have a greater passion for their cause than we have for ours. He goes, "Not even close." And you know, he says that, and obviously he's the guru, and in my own world, I've seen the same thing. It's like, wow, I do some corporate speaking, and I'm like, man, they're passionate about selling phones at Verizon or wherever I speak, selling lumber at Home Depot. I've spoken for Home Depot several times. And then I turn around and I watch a guy that can't even get on a coaching call, mm. doesn't get the coach, and I'm like, but we, our message is way more important than lumber and cell phones. It's the gospel. And our passion to grow and get better, just, I could go all day on it. I'm so passionate about why we're not doing that as pastors.
0: Wow. couple tips for uh, those, those meetings. You know, I want to have a lunch with somebody, somebody like that. What are some tips um, when you get that meeting? What are you, you know, obviously you can't just fly to Atlanta to meet with Mark. Yep. And then not be prepared and just show up and say, hey, let's, let's hang out. So what are some tips for that, getting prepared and getting the most out of that, that 90 minutes?
1: Yeah, I've done a lot of that uh, 90 minutes. I've done a lot of 20-minute phone calls. I've gotten hold of leaders and just said, look, dude, I'll take 20 minutes of your time. And I literally look at the clock the entire time. I'm like, so the biggest thing I do, two biggest things. Number one is I protect their time. I value it. I show them I value it. And I'm telling you, leaders that tell you they'll give you 20, they'll give you 40. But let them give that to you. Just be like, hey, 20 minutes are up. Thanks so much for your time. It's been amazing talking to you on the phone or whatever, you know. Um, the other thing is be prepared. Have great questions. Don't have low-level questions. Mm. Have some people help you with the questions. Um, I've had people get time with me and sometimes I'm like, dude, there's so many other people can answer this. It's very low-level questions. like, yeah. uh, you know, you might want to ask a higher-level question. And so uh, I, whenever I'm in front of someone big, I literally text out to about 10 pastors, I'm gonna be sitting with this guy next Friday. I got 40 minutes, what would you ask him? And uh, boom, they send it back. I'd ask this, I'd ask this, and I look at all, I literally have all these people help me prepare five or six questions. And I go in, I go, okay, I got 30 minutes, I got five questions, here we go. And I protect their time and I, and I let them know that, hey, I got some questions and I show them that I value it and I come with high level questions. Almost I love every time
0: it. I love they'll give it. you a little it.
1: more time and they'll be like, Hey, call me up. Let's do this again. Because they won't. And I'll, I'll prove it to you right now. Ready? Here's how I'm going to prove it. If you have a pencil or a pen in your hand and you're listening or watching this, my personal cell phone number is 951-415-7444. 951-415-7444. That's this phone right here that I'm showing on the screen. Now, let's see how many people call, and I'm always <laughs> flunking. Dude, I'll speak at, a, at, a, at an arena. I did it for ARC. There was tons of people in the room, you know, pastors everywhere, four, five, you know, and, and, uh, and, and it's not just me. Man, I talk to other leaders. They're like, oh, yeah, give your number to 50 pastors. You'd be lucky if one calls. And I'm like, dude, if Larry Osborne gives you his number, which he gave me his number, I was like, that's the biggest mistake Larry ever made. Because I was like, <laughs> all right, dude, where do you live? I've been to his house. Literally, I've been to his house. I've been in his backyard. I sat with just me and him 10 o'clock at night sitting there, you know, and why? Because he gave me the number. And I, I was like, all right, dude, I'm, here we go, man. I want information. And uh, I'm just always floored that people don't, don't take advantage of it. It's just amazing to me.
0: That's so, incredible. Learn. I love it. All right, Chris, last, last question here. Yes, sir. Uh, What is bringing you renewal in your life? I know you've got coaches. One of those is a spiritual coach, uh, you know, church coach, all that kind of stuff. But what are some things that are bringing you personal renewal right now?
1: Uh, Oh, my daughter's going to have a baby. That's pretty exciting. (laughs) Which is crazy to even think that way. Uh, But that's on a personal level, on a kind of a ministry level. Probably uh, Larry Osborne more than once has called me Barnabas, Mm -hmm. which I don't like because it sounds like a weak leader. I mean, I want to be known as Paul or David or something Gideon, not Barnabas. Uh, You know, first of all, you know, I mean, I don't even want the name, but secondly, it's like, I go, why is that? And he, I I can't remember exactly how he said it, so I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he just said, You're a cheerleader to every pastor, whether they have 20 people in their church or 20,000, you're a cheerleader. And I really feel that. And it bring, what brings me renewal on the ministry is watching everybody else win. I really, genuinely, from the depth of my heart, like to watch people win. Um, so even if it's a guy that's like, man, do we even been stuck at 70 forever. And he breaks 100. That's amazing. That's awesome. You now, some pastors that might be listening and thinking, 100? Yeah, but when you've been at 70 for five years and you finally broke 100, that's victory. And that's a good victory. And that guy needs to be celebrated. And now his confidence level goes through the roof. He's all excited. He's fired up. 150 becomes so easy because he was able to break something that he never was able to break before. I like to watch people win, whether that's 70 to 100 or whether that's 2,000 to 4,000, doesn't matter. I like watching people win. I like watching people say they're going to write a book and write it. I'm helping several guys write books right now. Uh, I just like whatever it is. I just like watching people win and the wind in my cell always is other people's victories.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, Hey, Chris, thank you so much for your time. Oh, absolutely. Uh, such a, such an encouraging word today. So thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. Yeah. It's been awesome. been a pleasure. Uh,